Audio Invasion is back in the building. In this corner with Brian Campbell, the MMA edition returns to your eardrums, ready to pass guard and rain down a ground-and-pound serving of what the locals like to call performance-enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is, in fact, the voice you hear once again, piloting the ship alongside my tag team partner, Muhammad King Mo Lawal. Ready to recap the week that was in MMA and set the stage for this weekend's UFC 216 card in Las Vegas. And in the aftermath of us recording our fight preview this week for Saturday's card, UFC President Dana White did announce that the show will go on as planned despite the tragic shooting that took place late Sunday night on the Las Vegas Strip. UFC will also donate $1 million to the families of the many victims and dedicate the UFC 216 show to the city of Las Vegas in general, a very noble move for sure. But before we get to the festivities and break down the fights in this week's show, let me remind you to head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, review. Hey, spread the word on social media using the hashtag in this corner. It only takes 60 seconds. And check out our other offerings from the ITC this week, including an interview special on the boxing show from Canelo Triple G Weekend, which featured chats with the likes of Bernard Hopkins, Kelly Pavlik, Larry Merchant, much, much more. And on the wrestling edition this week, folks, we talk with SmackDown superstar Kevin Owens ahead of Sunday's WWE Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. It's a chat you simply do not want to miss. So without any further ado, it's time to tag in the king. Enjoy. King Mo and TBC, the Brian Campbell back coming at you. It's fight week UFC 216 in Las Vegas. A lot of news to get to. King Mo, of course, right off the top, we're, we're, we're just recently, uh, removed from the news of the, of the tragedy in Las Vegas with the shooting. You know, over 50 people confirmed dead. It's, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers to everyone out there. This is somewhat fight related because UFC 216 is this weekend in Las Vegas. Uh, this is pretty wild. This, this is scary stuff. It's scary, but you know, um, my, my you know, I'm gonna send positive energy to my people out there in Las Vegas and the community out there. Um, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see what the UFC does. I think they, I just like you, I think we should, they should go on with the um, with the event, just up security and just um, just stay stay united that hey, um, you know, um, even though terrorism is happening, life still goes on and we will still put out a top notch event. Will be interesting to see what happens. We will preview this card in much detail on this podcast today, but we have a bunch of news to get through first, King Mo, all over the world of MMA in the past week. I, of course, am always going to gravitate toward what is kind of like cheap fast food news because I have a character flaw that loves hashtag old guy fights, that loves big names talking trash to each other. And King Mo, I don't know if we've been paying attention in the news cycle the past few months, but 47-year-old UFC Hall of Famer Chuck Liddell keeps talking about maybe coming back. He keeps posting videos of himself training, all of this. He told TMZ Sports that if I come back, well, you know, Chael Sonnen's an easy fight. If I was going to come back, this is a good one. It's a good warm-up fight. He's got a big mouth, but not much behind it. Well, of course, Chael fired back last week, because that's what Chael does, with three words on Twitter, Chuck, say when, end quote. King Mo, Sonnen went on to tell TMZ Sports that twice Bellator has offered Liddell a contract and offered him the Chael fight, and twice Chuck Liddell turned it down. Where are we at with it? This this fun and game, good fun and games, or should Chuck Liddell at 47 not be trying to enter a cage again? I can't. I'm not the one to tell any man or any woman to what to do and when to do it. Um, Chuck Liddell, he's a grown man, been fighting. He knows the game. It's the hurt business. If he wants to step in the cage and potentially get hurt or hurt somebody, you know, let him. You know, um, he obviously they've offered a contract from what from what Chell says. Um, he hasn't signed it yet. Maybe he's trying to get more money out of it. Maybe he's trying to see if he can still, um, you know, if his body's still conditioned or, you know, if he can still go through a training camp. You know, maybe he's just trying to buy time to see to figure all that out. We will find out pretty soon. Well, Adele, we know, you know, hasn't fought since 2010. UFC sort of forced him into a retirement after he lost five of his last six. Four, four of those losses by, you know, somewhat devastating knockout. Well, they gave him one of those sort of made jobs, right? Like an executive for life position in the UFC, made public appearances, sort of, you know, was made for life. Well, that made fell apart 
under UFC new ownership when they cut his job, cut Matt Hughes' job, trying to save money, go in a new direction. That made Chuck Liddell unhappy. You mix that with the climate with Bellator now where it's a soft landing for guys who want to get back in there and do one more. Ken Shamrock, Hoist Gracie, whoever across the board. It seems like Chuck wants this, like he has the itch. Does he have any chance to beat a 39, 40-year-old Chell Sun in here? Uh, anything is possible, man. You know, um, you, you're, he has two hands. <laughs> he, he has the eight, the eight limbs of, uh, of the eight deadly limbs. He has his hands, elbows, knees, and feet. You know, um, anything's possible, man. He has, the last thing you lose, um, as a fighter is your knockout power. And that's one thing he's gonna have. All it takes is one shot. Um, I know Chell's gonna come up with a good game plan. He has to be smart, but at the same time, Chuck Liddell, even though he's old, is still a da- is a still a dangerous opponent. Look at look at um, when uh when when uh, um Chell fought Vandalay. He did get rocked in that fight. He got dropped. Oh yeah. Right. Um, if a smaller man in in Vandalay can do it, imagine what Chuck could possibly do. You know, a lot of people are just going to be like, this is crazy. Move on to the next subject. But if we're actually talking about a fight here, like you said, it's kind of an interesting style matchup. If Chuck was in, you know, the best shape he could be for 47 years old, still got that power. We know Chael would try to take him down and avoid the big shot. It maybe would be a lot like Chael versus Vanderlei, but you'd have a much bigger guy who's got good takedown defense in Chuck. It's interesting. I mean, can, can years away be a good thing if Chuck was trying to come back in terms of just, you know, restoring everything? It just depends. Look at George Foreman, for instance. Granted, he was a lot younger, took a lot of time off, came back, um, had to um, get his, get the rust off, and next you know, ten years later, eleven years later, he ends up winning the heavyweight belt. You know, um, I'm not saying Chuck Liddell could do that. I'm not gonna doubt him. But the thing is, like, people people out there will bash this fight, and they're like, man, whatever, whatever. But guess what? They will tune in to watch this fight because just to just. The trash talk and the buildup for this fight will be so good. Oh, if they did that on Spike, it'd be another two, three million viewers, you know, guaranteed. Bellator's been on a good run with that. Hey, maybe this would be part of a pay-per-view. We know Bellator wants to stay in that business after the Bellator NYC card, which, uh, you know, offered a lot, right? Offered a little bit for everybody. You had real, quote-unquote, real matchups with prime guys. You had circus fights. You had kind of everything you'd want there. Heck, we almost had a double knockout with Mitrione Fedor, so... Bellator still bringing the fun fights. We'll see moving forward if Chuck is a part of that. But King Mo, from the wild and wacky and weird of the MMA news cycle this week, viral video alert. I'm sure everyone listening to this has seen it now on Saturday in Bolton, England, at an MMA promotion called Full Contact Contender 19. A man named John O'Mears defeated Aaron Jones by submission. With a move that looked a lot like an old school WWF Boston Crab. Did you see this? What the heck's going on here? At first, I was like, man, this has to be like, you know, um, when those, you know, those empty, those EMTI sport, um, dot com, uh, links you see on Facebook. Yes. Like, they're fake, but people still post them. I was like, this has to be one of those. And I kept on seeing, I was like, nah, I'm not gonna pay, in. I'm not gonna pay no attention. And I kept on seeing, I was like, you know what? If I see it a few more times, I'm going to look. I went on Instagram. I, saw it and I was like, okay. I was like, this is unbelievable. I was like, how did this guy get this move? Like, like next, you know, we're going to see a Scorpio Deathlock or a Sharpshooter. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Chris Jericho popped. He, cause you know, the Boston Crab Walls of Jericho, basically the same move. He tweeted out, haha, see the Walls of Jericho really works. Kingbo, this appears to be like bare bones, basic, you know, entry level MMA. Real wrestling moves couldn't work, meaning real pro wrestling moves couldn't work in like high level MMA, right? I mean, that's just, this is just not happening, right? I'm wrong, 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 wrong. I've, um, the bank statement, I think it's the bank statement with Sasha, that's Sasha Banks. Who's the, uh, yeah, is it, who's the girl that does a straight arm lock? I forgot who it oh, was. Oh, Becky Lynch. She does the disarmer. <laughs> yeah, disarmer. Guess what? I saw that move hit before I've ever seen her hit it. My boy Boogie, Muhammad Abdul Fatah. He was a Greco-Roman world champion. He came to America top team. And he was just grappling, wrestling. He didn't know much about grappling, but he did that move. I watched him do it to, um, a former, the former Bellator champion, um, from, uh, I forgot his name. He fought Newton a few times. Um, ah, I can't think of his name. The European head, um, 205, brown hair, Attila Vey. Yes. I watched him do it to Attila Vey and, uh, I watched Attila Vey tap out to it. And I'm like, what in the world? I'm like, I've never seen that move. 
fast forward, and then like two a year and a half later, I see that move getting hit in the in the um, WWE ring. So anything's possible, man. I know, but like, like, okay, in the '90s when UFC first came out, right? You get into it because it's like barroom brawls. It's just bizarre theater. You love it. But then the nuances start to come into MMA. But there's still some of us that crossed over from pro wrestling to see, quote, you know, to see these real fights, and we're like, what moves from pro wrestling might work? All we ever really saw were like slams for the most part. I mean, maybe like some of these MMA-inspired submissions that you see in wrestling, like. Undertaker's Hell's Gate is basically what, like a triangle choke? I mean, it's, you know, that, that's, that's a natural crossover, but these more wild moves, it's like, you never think this could happen. That Boston Crab, that's not happening on Bellator UFC, right? That's only happening with these weekend warriors. Well, you never know. Uh, let's think about, let's, let's think about this, right? The Cap Slicer was a move that we saw in MMA first. Then we saw AJ Styles do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if the move could, could possibly be done to, to, to where it, it could inflict pain on somebody, in, in actual MMA, it could work. Actually, even in pro wrestling, if a move can actually inflict pain on you and it's legal legal to do in, in MMA, there's a time where the move will be done by somebody. I could never say never. I, I, I never thought I'd see the, see the Boston Crab executed in an MMA event. And guess what? It happened. Mark my words, you'll see more crazy stuff like this happen. <laughs> Now, what in theory, what is that move doing? Explain to you've you've been in pro wrestling. You're an MMA star. What is that move doing to your body? Well, for one, it's destroying your um, lower back. Um, could, could possibly grip you know some abdominal muscles, hip flexors gone, um, quads could be gone, uh, upper back damaged. It, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of pressure on your core. Because it's bending you backwards, in a sense. We've seen what I mentioned. You know, we've seen slams of all varieties in MMA through the years. You know, Rampage Jackson, Fedor. We've seen, you know, big names involved in these slams, almost suplex-like moves. Why do we not see a lot of those? Well, the reason why you don't see a lot of slams is it's hard to slam somebody. In order in order to, be, to get slammed, you have to actually agree that, hey, I'm going to hold on to this move or I'm going to stay upright and let you throw me. But with some people, when they get slammed, it's too late. They've held on to a move too long, like a triangle, or some, or say you shot double. I mean, I, and I tried to do a chest wrap, and you picked me up in the air. I held on to a certain maneuver too long. You know what I'm saying? So that's what ends up happening. That's what ends up leading to a slam. When when a guy does a, a, an attack, and the the guy getting attacked holds on to the counter too long, a lot of times they get picked up and slammed. Just like look, look at look at Rampage's um triangle slam on the Rona. Same to Matt Hughes versus Carlos Newton. Very famous ones, no doubt about it. If you're in the air, King Mo, what can you do to soften your landing? Is it almost like tuck your chin and try to take a WWE bump, or is it? Are you at the mercy of 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 how well someone's about to slam you? I mean, they, if they hit you, you're going to get knocked out, right? Well, there, there's there's a one there's one good way of countering that. Um, not really countering, but defending in a sense. If you go back and watch when Leo Machida fought Quentin Jackson, I think in and in Arbor, Michigan. Yeah, that three round fight that was really hard to score. That was, by the way, that fight was sort of the the precursor to doing all five round main events, right? Because that was like a no one really fought each other. They kind of tiptoed the whole the whole bout. I thought I thought Machida really won. I thought he won because he, he took Quentin down, mounted him, and landed some good shots. Quentin didn't do much. Well, there's one there's one time where Machida got a takedown. Quentin reversed him. Machida locked in a triangle. And Quentin went to slam him. Well, guess what Machida did? Let go of the move. As soon as he felt, as soon as he felt himself getting lifted, he just let go of the move. That's what you can do. When you feel yourself getting lifted, let go of the move. It'll save you a lot of, uh, a lot of pain. There it is. There's another King Mo MMA math equation. You want, once you feel being lifted, let go of the move. It reminds me a lot of hands plus wrestling equals a problem, right? Yep. <laughs> Hands versus wrestling equals a big-time problem. Big-time problem. This week in the news cycle, King Mo, Rory McDonald made three appearances. He's coming off of last week's news that he will face Douglas Lima, the Bellator welterweight champion, in January in Los Angeles. Good fight. We talked about that last week. Well, here's the trio of news. Let's go through them one by one. He's a little bit unhappy. This surprised me with Bellator at the speed of how he has been handled. We know when when he was signed with Bellator, it was 
probably their biggest acquisition in history, right in the middle of his prime championship level contender coming over from the UFC. He had an injury that he needed to finish healing, so it delayed his start. Then his debut against Paul Daly seemed to take a while to come together. Now he's not going to fight till January. He says, look, I want to, I want to be fighting, you know, busier than this. I want to be fighting three, four times a year if I can. All right. That, that seems like, you know, that, that like a decent, sort of argument to make. You can work that out with Scott Coker. But he went on to say more King Mo. He got in the headlines for this, saying, the welterweight division, the welterweight title, it may not be enough for me. After he beats Lima for the 170 belt, this is him talking, he has much bigger plans. Next, the middleweight title. And third, the maybe even the 205 belt held by Ryan Bader. King Mo, this is your division in Bellator. Rory says he walks around at 188. Is this possible in your eyes, or is this just a skilled fighter kind of running his mouth? Uh, I don't know. We're gonna see. Anything's possible, you know. Um, there are guys that fight out their weight class all the time. I'm one of them. You know, if he wants to do that, have my hats off to him. Um, I think that once he goes to 185 and he um, fights a few of those guys at 185, he'll realize 205 is a little tougher. But at the same time, he's hard headed like me, so he'll he might want want to um, you know, test his luck at. 205 once or twice, and we'll find out if he wants to stick around after his first chance. Well, you know, he's not the only one to say this right. New Bellator signee Gegard Mousasi is old school in that regard. He said he'll fight anywhere from middleweight to heavyweight. But MMA fighting sort of pressed Rory. Like, are you for real? And Rory's like, yeah, I walk around at 188. But then he sort of soft played it. He said, welterweight's going to be my home. That's where I fit. I'm not a massive guy. I'd be a small middleweight. It would be a joke to see me at light heavyweight, but I still think I can beat him. That soft playing leads me to believe we're not going to see McDonald versus Bader. It's just maybe his way of saying, hey, everyone under the Bellator banner, like I'm coming and I'm, you know, I'm here to do business. Uh, middleweight, Rory at middleweight, I think we can see that. Mm, yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, um, it depends on who Bellator signs because – there are more people that could possibly be signed by Bellator 185. Who knows? Um, now, with people saying Roy ain't going to do it, Roy's not going to go to 205. He will not go to 205. Well, the thing is, if enough people say that, Roy's the type of guy that's, you know, I, don't, I haven't really met him, but I've seen him, and I, and I know guys have worked with him. He's the type of guy that will be like, you know what? You guys say I can't do it? Well, guess what? I'm going to go to 205 and fight some people. You know, that's... He's young. He's, um, you know, only thing, only, only, only issue is his nose. Other than that, he's healthy. Um, he could, you know, he could probably put another, another three or four pounds. If he's walking on 188, I don't see him getting up to like one, 195, but 190, you know, and he might try to test his luck at 205. If he's smart enough, he can make it work, but 205 is going to be tough because the guys will be so much bigger, stronger, and longer than him that, uh, it might be tough, but, you know, anything can be done with a good game plan. Well, we play the game of what's it look like on this podcast once in a while. What does that look like in a mythical Rory versus Bader 205 matchup? Does does McDonald, I mean, he's going to be quicker on the feet. Bader can throw hands a bit, but is it just Ryan looking to take him down, and that's the bottom line of that fight? Yeah, it'll be Ryan pressuring him and walking him down and timing him and getting the takedown and just throwing some big shots and punching with him because – a lot of times when you're facing a guy that can't hurt you, what you want to do is you want to walk him down and punch with him. So as he's punching, trying to land point, score points, you're punching with him in between the shots, trying to land some damage or knock him out. And I think Bader will try to walk him down, pressure him, and punch with him good for a takedown, get get a submission victory or just a ground-and-pound um, stoppage. Be very interesting. The third bit of news Rory made this week is – it kind of goes back a month ago. A month ago, he did one of those Reddit MMAs where he answers questions from fans where he basically said he's convinced that Robbie Lawler was on PEDs during their fight of the year classic they had in 2015 at UFC 189. Many people remember that fight. Lawler broke Rory's nose, held on to win the, to defend the welterweight title. McDonald's showed a ton of heart in what was a massive war. Well, this past Monday, he was on the MMA hour and MMA fighting and was asked to expand upon those comments. He said, this about Lawler. 
he never slowed down. I would hurt him, and his output was high, 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 and he never really lost power and endurance. He just kept the pace and kept the power no matter how hurt or tired he was. He always was recovering very fast. It made me very suspicious. Obviously, I think Robbie is a tank of a person. He's got that fire, that will, that rage, that anger that pushes him through the hard moments. He's an absolute warrior. I'm not disagreeing with that. But I do believe he was taking some ish. End quote. King Bo, this riled up some folks in ATT land, including Eve Edwards, who had a Twitter battle with him back and forth saying, sore loser doesn't look good on you, Rory. You should wear something else. Where do you weigh in on these big comments from McDonald looking back on what was a classic fight? You know what? I was, I was there case side. Yeah, Robert was on PEDs. Performance enhancing decisions. He <laughs> <laughs> made, made the right decisions. Like, like, you know, here's the thing, right? If you watch a lot of Robbie's fights, Robbie will fight hard one round, coast one round. If you watch the Carlos Condon fight, he can't, he'll come hard one round, coast one round. Even when he fought Roy McDonald, he took time. He t- like, Roy, yeah, Roy um, oh, landed shots on him, rocked him. But Robbie coasted and composed himself and, and finally found the right time to fight back. If you watch those, if you watch a lot of Robbie Lawler's fights, they're really not true battles. They're, they're like this. Robbie will win a round. You'll win the round. Third round, say Rob will come out strong. Rob will, will be conservative. You'll throw shots. You'll look good. All of a sudden, you slow down. Rob will take over. Watch. Just think about Robbie versus Johnny Hendricks. If you uh, the last time they fought, Robbie finished strong because Robbie really didn't do much the fourth and fifth that's round. That's a great point, and that's been the criticism of him, King Mo. That you know, a high level title level guy, but he takes rounds off because maybe he empties the tank too much the round before because he loves fighting so much. He loves brawling. Yeah, and, and that's it. You know, Robbie, Robbie's a seek and destroy fighter. Um, he, uh, you know, he'll come out strong, and then sometimes he'll he'll coast because I, I think probably because he comes out too hard too. I, th- I feel like feel like he coasts because he's trying to look for a t- for the proper time to counter. But when he's doing that coasting, look for, look for a t- proper time to counter punch you. The guys that he's fighting are gaining so much confidence, they'll start throwing one punch. Two punch, oh, no counter. Three, four, no counter. Five, six, no counter. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, still no counter. You know, keep on going. And then finally, by after 16 or like, actually 16 answer punches, Robbie will fire back. Usually at the one and a half minute mark. With left in the fight, Robbie will come back that round and look to steal that round, especially when he takes, when he took most of that round off. What do you think uh, Rory's trying to accomplish here? Just tr- is he trying to soften the blow of of his biggest loss? Is he trying to, you know, be one of these GSP guys who's trying to clean up the sport? I mean, what do you think he's trying to do? I don't. There's some, you know, there's some sour grapes in here. It seems. I don't know what he's trying to do, but really, whatever he's trying to do, just keep doing it because this is the most people have heard him talk. People want people want to hear from this guy. He's a good fighter. Um, Rory, keep talking. You know, good or bad, just keep talking. You know what I'm saying? Because you know. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about him personally. You know, he seems like a good guy. You know, works works um, smart and hard. But this right here, people want to hear him talk. So you know what? You know, even if it's controversial, go out and talk. Just be smart about what you say and uh, don't offend people. Well, like you made a good point. It's getting us talking about him this week. It's getting a lot of people saying that name. And he is a valuable piece in what Bellator is doing in the future. And this is a day and age, the Conor McGregor era, where if you talk and the better you talk, the more headlines you make. And King Mo, speaking of Conor McGregor, he's back in the headlines this week. He made a public appearance Friday in Glasgow, Scotland. Ran his mouth on a lot of topics, right? Ripping Robert Bird, the boxing referee, in the Mayweather fight for stopping it too soon, saying, hey, did you see Robert Bird's wife give that awful scorecard in the Canelo Triple G fight? Well, I guess that sums up why he did that to me, which is just a bunch of BS. That's not what I'm here to talk about, King Mo. They asked Connor, when are you coming back? What's next? Who are you going to fight? Blah, blah, blah. He provided a list of possible opponents. Five. Here's Here's the list for you. Number one, the winner of Ferguson Lee this Saturday, UFC 216 for the interim lightweight belt. Two, Nate Diaz trilogy. Three, an MMA or a boxing fight versus, quote, one of these old champions, end quote, referencing either Floyd Mayweather or Paula Malignaggi. Four, he brought up Habib Nurmagomedov. And five, George St. Pierre. Enter your King Mo crystal ball here for a second, Muhammad Al-Luwal. When will we see Connor again and against who? I'm seeing the sixth option is nobody. <laughs> You'll be counting them rocks, counting them money, right? Counting the 100 million. 
Yeah, I, you know what? Because the, the GSP fight, you know, what weight class would happen at? Who knows? I mean, yeah, GSP is fighting for the middleweight belt. He's not getting in there with Connor anytime soon. Exactly. Versus Diaz could possibly happen, but it depends on how much money Diaz wants to UFC because he sees that he, Diaz is a draw. He's a big name. He knows his worth. Um, Habib, who knows? You know what I'm saying? Tony Ferguson, who knows? Who knows to anybody? You know, Polly Malinaji, who knows? Mayweather, I doubt it. I, it Polly Malinaji, I, I, it has to be a boxing match. It would make no sense. Like, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to see him step in the cage. I know. He seems to believe, like, he keep him and, and, and his coach Kavanaugh keep bringing up this idea that Connor thinks either Floyd or Pauly would fight him in MMA. It's like, stop saying things like that. That's, that's like, yeah, like, that's the least possible outcome of any of these. Now, now, with them saying that, now it's just a money grab. You know, if if Connor were to actually fight one of those two in the cage instead of defending his belt, that'd be a slap in the face, and that would show that those belts mean nothing. The belts mean nothing. They may already mean nothing. I mean, that's that's it. look, my money here, King Mo. It's Nate Diaz, and it's as soon as Connor agrees to come back because the UFC would bend over backwards to make that fight because they need the money, they need the pay per view buys, they need to be in the Connor business, they need him in the cage. It's going to probably be in my eyes whoever he wants to fight. Like who has more leverage in the history of MMA negotiating than Connor McGregor right now, right? Yeah, yeah. For right now, because the thing is, like, it always it always changes right now. Before it's Ronda, and let's be real, Ronda could probably held as much power, if not even more. It didn't yeah. seem like she used it though. She seemed like a company girl from the outside yeah. looking in. Well, she she didn't she she didn't use it. Um, and the thing is, let's be real, Connor was a company man, and now he's not because the people that run the company now he has nothing to do with. Very, very true point right there. Just, you know, the Diaz would be, it would just be the most money. Now, there are, you know, uh, there are, like you said, can Nate agree to come back? It seems like Nate only wants Connor, only wants that big money, has been turning down every fight before then. Give those guys what they deserve because they will produce pay-per-view buys. Their second one, August 2016, is is reportedly the the biggest selling fight in MMA history, right? 1.5 million pay-per-view buys. Like, that's massive. A third one. With Connor's celebrity coming off of the Floyd fight, like we said in the past, it could push two two million pay per view buys, which we've never seen in the MMA space. Make that fight above all else. UFC love- needs Connor. Yeah, they they they, they definitely do. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't, really I really don't know what they're gonna do because the fight with Diaz would do would be, do big numbers. A fight versus Habib would do big numbers, in my opinion. A fight versus GSP would do big numbers. Um, a fight versus Polly could do big numbers in in the boxing ring, it just depends on if he wants to fight still because, you know, um, it's hard to get, get yourself back up after you made that big payday. True. I do agree with you that uh, Connor GSP, I think it's the biggest money fight in the organization, in the sport of MMA right now. Like, if there's one fight that I wouldn't hesitate to believe could get to the 2 million market, by the way, 2 million pay-per-views, that's a giant event, right? I think that's the fight, but I think you need GSP to lose to Bisping and then say, okay, I'm coming down to welterweight, and then, you know, Connor going, I want to make 50 million, so let's make that fight, because there's no other fight in the organization, I think, that comes close to that. Well, I, I think a fight, there's one fight that's bigger than that, actually. What do you got? Nick Diaz. Where's Connor? Wow. If uh, if constructed correctly, meaning, like, we know we're going to get trash talk. Like, we know we're going to get sick trash talk. But the, you would almost have to have, like, an incident. Like, it would almost have to be WWE-style booked, right, King Mo? Like, like, but, like some return to the bottle-throwing days or some some kind of moment where you're like, oh, man, we got to see that now. Like, does it – does that – okay, then let me ask you this. Does yeah. Nate need to lose to Connor in the third fight first – and then have Nick, like, in the post-fight press conference come up and, like, push him and fight him and, you know, and trash talk so that Nate would go, okay, brother, I've had three fights with this guy. You can take the payday next. Well, it, 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 could, be, it could go – anyway, it could be like, um, you know, Nate Nate tries to fight. They sign the fight. He gets injured. Nick steps in. Or it could be Nate losing to um, losing to Connor and Connor saying, you know what? You would have done, it would be a better fight if I fought your brother instead, you know. Call his, let, let Connor call his brother. You know, it it could be it could be different. It could be it could be Nate, or it could be Nick crashing um Connor's press conference and calling him out. There's so many ways the fight could be done. You know, just because like you know because Nick 
is one of the few other than Nate that can met can match him, you know, trash talk for trash talk, word for word. So it's gonna come down to um just the setup. And the setup is actually kinda easy. All it's gonna take is Nick to mention Connor's name and for Connor to respond. Or for Connor to mention Nick's name and for Nick to respond. No, you're that's right. It. King Mo, you are right. I'm gonna give it up to you because when you first said that, I'm like, I don't know. You know, that's not the same star power as the GSP. But trash talk is the true currency in pay-per-view sales and it's the true currency in MMA right now. And fan, you know, you wanna ask how how big is Nick's star power? Every time they show a picture of, of him on the screen at any event, the fans go sick. He's like the the people's champion in that regard, right? Like the crazy, psychotic people's champion. Yeah, and look, look at his track record. Look who he's fought. He fought GSP, and, and he marked GSP up, even though GSP won. But he came on strong those last two rounds. He fought Anderson Silva. He's fought Gomi. He's fought the who's who, especially at the time that they were hot. He's fought those guys. So uh that would be a sick fight. And so I love that we did the the WWE style booking within the MMA space. I want to transition and do that one more time. We have a segment on the In This Corner Pro Wrestling show called Booking the Damn Territory where we say, all right, you know, hey, John Cena, Roman Reigns, let's get to WrestleMania. Let's book our way there. I want to offer you a Booking the Damn Territory on what's going to happen next with Daniel Cormier. Now, again, the UFC's light heavyweight champion. Is he going to go to heavyweight? Is he going to stay at 205? If he does, who he's going to fight? King Mo, when I look at the landscape at 205, I just don't see a matchup that's worth it to him to come back and fight. Like, I don't think he gains anything from fighting Gustafson a second time. He won the first fight, close fight, but physical fight, he won it, though. I don't think there's any name out there, you know, that would bring enough money. He's 38. What else can he add outside of fighting John Jones? There's nothing I think he can add to his light heavyweight resume. You and I have talked on here. The only thing he can add is by moving up to heavyweight. So here's my booking the damn territory scenario. Let's say he moves up to heavyweight and takes on Stipe Miocic. UFC would bend over backwards to make this fight in my mind. Big pay-per-view buys for heavyweight, which doesn't usually create large numbers in the post-Lesnar era. Let's say he beats Miocic. He becomes a two-division champion. Here's what has to happen two minutes after that fight. Cain Velasquez. Get ready for this, King Mo. He's just going to fire you up. Cain Velasquez walks through that cage. He congratulates Cormier on winning the heavyweight championship. They hog. And in the post-fight interview, Cain goes, one more thing, Daniel. Thank you for dropping down from heavyweight to light heavyweight a couple years ago to avoid facing me when I had the belt. But that's still my belt. And you're still going to have to go through me to keep it. Oh, goosebumps, King Mo. Come on. This is WWE stuff right there. Cormier versus Velasquez, former friends, now foes in the cage. Am I, am I, am I drinking the juice too much here? But then I'm fired up. You know what? It's cool, but Kane ain't got that personality to do that. You're right. Well, that's, that's been the problem his whole career, right? So so I think that Daniel should fight Gustafson or fight somebody at 205. Just get the ring rest off. Who knows? Who is a matter who? It could be the old, the Vulcan Olsenmeyer guy. Beat him. Then, you know, let's say Kane, let's say Derek Lewis beats Verdum. Then fights Kane. Kane loses to Derek Lewis. Then you have Daniel step in to avenge his loss. Daniel beats Derek Lewis because it's shot at Steve Meiosis' belt. Or gets a shot at Nganu. The winner of Nganu, um, gets a shot of the winner of Nganu over in fight. Because yeah. let's be real, Steve, Steve Mayosik is, the belt is what saves him. He's a great fight, great champion. The belt's what saves him. But the thing is, the matchup of Daniel versus Derek Lewis, dangerous fighter versus great fighter, or the winner of Nganu versus Overeem versus Daniel to me, or even the winner of that fight versus Derek Lewis. You know what I'm saying? Or the winner of that fight versus the winner of Derek Lewis and Overeem. I mean, Derek Lewis and, uh, Verdum is a good fight. That, should, that's an interesting guy. way to get there, but King Mo, do we, uh, is that taking too many chances? I mean, Daniel's 38. Like, like a loss to any of these guys kind of derails the larger plans. And we know the UFC right now is trying to look for pay-per-view buys above anything else. Yeah, but the thing is, pay-per-view buys is like, regardless, that can, Daniel versus any of those guys would sell more than Daniel versus Myosik. Maybe. Maybe you're right. I mean, Stipe, the one thing he has proven is he, is he can't move tickets, even in his hometown, right? It was CM Punk that sort of helped that pay-per-view card in Cleveland last year kind of kind of go, you know, even only to the 300,000 buy level. But that, that seemed to give it that juice. Do you think Daniel on this topic at all needs a victory, needs another victory at 205 
because we just saw him lose to Jones. Now that loss is under, you know, it's a no contest now. It's not a loss. But do you think because of that, we need to see Daniel defend that belt once, or do you think that doesn't matter at all? It doesn't matter. I just say Daniel's going to fight just to knock out the rust or just, you know, just just to stay busy, you know, because by the time he fights a heavyweight, who knows how many months that will pass. You know, although I concocted a WWE scenario that's not likely there with Cormier versus Velasquez, I still kind of feel like that's Kane's belt. But it's like, man, will we ever get to finally see him healthy enough to fight for it? Every time he comes close, he, you know, he has a setback. And, of course, we saw him at UFC 200 last year against Travis Brown where he looked like a million dollars. I mean, he looked like the Kane of old. Uh, the age is piling up. The miles are piling up. Like, it's been a heartbreak career. Do you ever see Kane wearing that belt another time? Uh, I don't know. It just depends on, like, because uh, if he comes back healthy, he possibly could, but it depends on Verdum, what happens with Nganu, what happens with Overeem, Stipe, what Daniel does. There are a lot of guys, Derek Lewis, there are a lot of, still, there are a lot of dangerous guys still at heavyweight. A lot of dangerous people still at heavyweight. Well, we have a couple fights to uh, react to. Quick news here. One of them is a heavyweight. Alistair Overeem will fight Francis Ngannou December 2nd at UFC 218 in Detroit. Very interesting fight here because we thought Ngannou was sort of in the on-deck circle for a chance at Stipe because of how shallow that division is. Now it looks like Stipe is still kind of going under contract talk with the UFC. They're still battling back and forth. This feels like, okay, we'll just book one more to see who is the true number one contender. How for real... Is the big Frenchman in Ganu who's blowing through everybody but has not had a victory on the level of Overeem at this point? Um, we'll, we'll find out. I know his fight with Curtis Blades, um, he's shown some issues with his takedown defense. But he's a big body, athletic, heavy, heavy-handed, heavy hips, um, can kick. Got, get, you know, he left his old old crew out there in uh, Paris and moved to Vegas to train with Dewey Cooper. And, you know, he has a, I think he has a better system. He has a better system now. Um, than he did before, and he was winning back then. So I think maybe, um, you know, he's about, he's for real. Let's, let's just see him fight somebody with um, for real skills. Yeah, it seems like this is a better fight for him than rushing him into the title shot. He's got five wins in a row, right? Three straight in the first round. Beat, uh, you know, kind of a, a well past his prime, Andre Orlovsky. But I'd I'd rather see, you know. It, he wouldn't be rushed into the title picture if the division had any substance to it. And right now it's a very thin division. Overeem seems like the perfect sort of litmus test at this point. I would, I think Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis would be the perfect litmus test. True. Because like coming off the loss though, they don't tend to book that way. I know, but, but Overeem coming up a lot, but who's Overeem's last one? Who's so he last... beat Verdum in that kind of like iffy majority decision. It was kind of, you know, no one really deserved the win, so to speak. I thought Verdum didn't have to win that fight, but, um, you know, um, you look at over. I don't know. Overing just can't get hit. If he gets hit, it's over. But one thing about Derek Lewis is he's shown that he can overcome adversity. Very true. We will get yeah. to Derek Lewis's return this Saturday in a second. The other fight of note: King Mo is former bantamweight champ D- Dominic Cruz. A year after losing his title to Cody Garbrandt, will return. It'll be December UFC 219. That's the New Year's Eve weekend card in Las Vegas against Jimmy Rivera. This is a tough fight, King Mo. Rivera's got a 20 fight win streak going on here. Uh, good fight for Cruz, or should he have kind of you know held out, tried to get Dillashaw, tried to get anybody who who would be ready for him? Good fight with Cruz because you know now he's 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 been champion, he's been contender, you know not why not knock out one of the young lions and just to solidify your spot at the top. That's a good point. I mean, he's had such a hard luck career, but you got to give the guy credit. Every time he sort of bounces back and makes a comeback, he looks sensational. Now he. Doesn't want to admit it, but those close to him, including his coach, say he was injured heading into that Garbrandt fight. That was one of the more surprising results that I've seen in MMA over the past few years, how easily Garbrandt controlled him from distance. Do we know yet, King Mo, when you look back at that fight, Garbrandt-Cruz, whether the result was that Cody's way better than we originally thought or that Cruz was partially compromised by injury? Where are you leaning? I think a little bit of both. I think Cody's good. But I knew something was up because... I've watched Dominic Cruz. I've seen him train before. I've seen him. I've seen him fight. And I noticed one thing before. You know, in the past, when you watched him, he he could stay moving for five rounds for for five minutes. You know, what I'm saying twenty five minutes he stayed moving. But this time, I noticed he'd move, then he'd stop, bounce, and stay stationary. You know, um, I noticed he wasn't bouncing on his feet as much. He can't move as much, and I feel like maybe a little bit of that might have been for fatigue, muscle fatigue in the legs, and two that um. The injuries, you know, because I've noticed it. 
when I every time I've hurt my knee and I came back, granted I didn't come back 100%, but when I came back, I lost something. Like at first, you know, when I had an injury, I, I couldn't really jump as high, I couldn't really run. Then I had it again, and then once the second time I had it, I, the running and jumping pretty much ceased. They had to build. It took me another year and a half before I could run and jump. But when I could start running and jumping, it was like at I can only run 25 percent as fast as I used to. You know what I'm saying? And uh, jumping, my jumping got to the point where I I could only jump and land on soft. I can only jump and land on soft um, um surface surfaces. So I just know that he probably had to train his train change his training around and couldn't get what he needed like he did before. That's a good so I think point. It might have affected him. He was certainly less mobile. He did show you that incredible chin and toughness. I mean, he got dropped by Garbrand. He kept coming forward. And I think he handles defeat. You know, I mean, you got to give McGregor credit for how he handles defeat. But Cruz handles defeat, I think, better than anyone else in terms of how humble he was and how would not make any excuses, gave it all to Cody, does not want to talk about injuries, just wants to get back in there and prove himself once again. You have to respect that, the veteran. But, King Mo, we got to get in and begin to unwrap this Saturday's card. UFC 216, T-Mobile in Arena in Las Vegas, provided everything goes off as planned. I will say this about this card. This is a okay pay-per-view card for 2017 when all the numbers are down and, and the pay-per-view buys are in the toilet, so to speak, and UFC is just trying to throw together anything they can to, to make things happen. But this is not an acceptable pay-per-view card in real life. There's only four fights on the main card. And this main event, which we're going to get into the specifics of it, but on paper, the main event of Tony Ferguson versus Kevin Lee is really like a UFC fight night main event. They just put the lipstick on it of the interim title. I, this is for a for a Las Vegas pay per view. This is about as weak as I've seen in a while, even with Demetrius Johnson last minute being added to this card. Uh, you know, I'm you know, I I said this before, and I'm saying it again. The UFC needs to copy what Scott Coker did in a sense, or or rebrand some things. They should have a super card. Super cards should be on pay per view. The cards like like you know the cards that are mediocre or somewhat okay solid. Have them as fight night cards or have them in fight pass or do something else different. Have them free, put them on Fox, but have the super cards, the super stacked cards on pay-per-view. You know, um, because now it's every card's a pay-per-view. They should just stack them up, put them on pay-per-view, save them some money, save them some like, you know, some heartache in case the, the pay-per-view buys are, are low, but something has to change. Yeah, it, this is just, it's just not great. I feel bad for the fans. It's like you, you gotta see what happens, but at the same time, you're like, I don't see this as a $70 payoff, but it could be a spectacular fight with the personalities and styles involved when you're talking about this main event for that interim 155 belt. You can argue all you want that there's a no reason for this interim belt or B that Lee is not deserving of this spot. And we ran that down in recent weeks of all the names that maybe could have and should have been in this spot, but weren't available. UFC certainly wanted Habib Nurmagomedov, but coming off of Ramadan, he didn't want to push himself. He said he wasn't going to be available until December. They panicked and said, well, we're going to take the next guy in line and put the belt around him. How good is this matchup when we take away all those qualifiers? Ferguson versus Lee in your eyes. Uh, I don't know, really. We'll find out how good it is when they actually fight. Because one thing you've seen in, in, in recent times, fights supposed to play out a certain way, and they don't. Or some fights play out the way we thought. Or some fights that you know we thought were going to be terrible snoozers end up being great fights. Um, Kevin Lee is a young, aggressive, good wrestler. Um, very confident right now. Good, good, um, top, top game. Um, Kevin Ferguson, I mean, Tony Ferguson. Shout out, a, shout out there to, to, to uh, to yeah. the great Kimbo Slice accidentally there. I like that. Rest in peace. Um, Tony Ferguson, uh, he's a good wrestler, good ground game. Um, get off his back. Great cardio, good volume, long, lanky. Um, he's a, he's a well-rounded fighter. You know, so we're going to see a one round fighter versus a guy that's a supreme athlete in the sense that, um, that's very dangerous on his feet and on top. So it's, it's going to come down to game plans. I think you identified it right there. We don't know if this is a great matchup because we don't know if Kevin Lee is ready to make this level of leap. Like Ferguson is among the hottest fighters in all of MMA right now. Nine fight win streak, 12 and one overall in the UFC. And the victories have been huge. I mean, he absolutely destroyed, the, you know, the the last few guys in a row there, including, you know, former champion Dos Anjos. I mean, he's 
barreling through guys with that sort of sick style of just coming forward, not afraid to absorb three, four strikes to land a big one. I mean, it's almost like old school Julio Cesar Chavez boxing machismo style, right? Like to Ferguson 33, but he's really at the peak of his powers right now. On paper, I'm, you know, my knee-jerk reaction is say, well, Lee hasn't shown us enough. He's only 25. Yeah, he's on a five-fight five win streak, but, you know, Michael Chiesa is really the only top-quality win in that run and had a little bit of a questionable stoppage there with the, with the tap-out after Chiesa sort of passed out for a second. But the thing about that, King Mo, is guys make leaps like this. I mean, Conor McGregor, for example, was doubted every step of the way as he stepped up against Chad Mendes, as he stepped up against Jose Aldo. You don't know until you see it. Has Lee showed you anything yet that next week we'll come back and go, wow, we should have saw that coming in his, in sort of his makeup and how he may be able to rise to the occasion against Ferguson? Well, I think, I think, yeah. The reason why, here's the reason why. I, I wouldn't compare him to Connor because Connor, when it comes down to it, Kevin Lee's faced a wider, wider, Connor's faced bigger names. But Kevin Lee's faced a wider variety of opposition leading into the title shot. If you look at it, um, he faced a wrestler, the guy from Dagger, the guy from Russia, he faces a wrestler, he faced kickboxer, he's faced grappler, he's faced everybody leading up to the title shot. Connor, on the other hand, never faced one wrestler True. leading up to the title shot. Not one. And, and Connor had the size advantage over everybody he fought, you know, reach, pretty much every advantage, he, every advantage he faced, he fought guys that were strikers. Kevin Lee's fought Guys that can strike, wrestle, grapple, and orthodox grinders. He's faced it all. So I feel like um, he'll be prepared. I just don't know if prepared for what um, Tony has to offer because Tony is like a a mixture of all those styles of his name. So, you yeah. know, it's going to be a tough one for him. But one thing I can say about Kevin Lee is he's confident and he's a good camp. He's in with a good camp. Dewey Cooper will have a good game plan for this fight. Well, Conor McGregor was asked during that appearance that we mentioned on Friday about this fight. He said, quote, I'm happy they're fighting. This is what I wanted because they're all bums at the end of the day. End quote. Yeah, all right, all right, Conor. The, the key question here about Conor here, King Mo, is there's two ways to look at this. Either one, this fight is like the final eliminator to see who fights Conor McGregor. And in a way, both have tr- – talked enough trash in the buildup where they're kind of preparing themselves to be McGregor's opponent from a marketing standpoint. The other side will tell you that not only is this interim title fake, but neither of these guys will ever get a chance to see Conor McGregor in the cage because they don't have enough star power to get on his radar these days when we're talking like we just did about guys like Diaz and GSP as future opponents. So does that lend more credence to this interim title or less when you consider the winner may end up actually being the lightweight champ if Conor never defends that belt. I think if what's going to happen is Conor will defend that belt and the winner will be the champion. Um, when it comes down to the name, when it comes down to the name value, like it's not about the name value. Remember, people like the UFC quote unquote so much because the best fought the best. But now it's turned out that the UFC is more like boxing in the past. And boxing is more like the UFC was in the past. Because now in boxing, you're seeing the big fights. In MMA, first with the UFC, you're kind of seeing like, okay, we need money. What fight can bring that money? It's not about the best fighting the best no more. And that's what the, the – remember years ago when the UFC versus boxing debate happened years ago. Everyone, all the UFC fans said boxing is dying. And, you know, the best don't fight the best. And, it, you know, but now you're seeing it switch now. Because the best ain't always fighting the best in MMA. Especially when I made in UFC. In boxing, you've seen the best fight the best. You've seen those matches more. And those matches are now on, they're not always on pay per view, they're on ITV. Top rank so, going to ESPN. We're seeing more fights on CBS and Fox once in a while for the big ones. That's a very good point. I wanted to sort of hit up this one thing. A lot of fighters coming out and saying, look, Kevin Lee's not deserving of this fight. He's only in this spot because he can talk trash. I mean, Al, Raging Al Iaquinta, who holds a victory over Kevin Lee, just came out and said, this guy's fake. He's merely playing a character. He's not that good. Mickey Gall, who's not afraid of trash talk, was on the MMA Hour this past week, and he says basically this. He says, Kevin Lee, man, he's talking ish. He's too comfortable using my name. I think he's got talent, but I'd F him up. We're both in different places in our career, but we could fight in the gym anytime. Whatever he wants, no rules. F it, let's fight, end quote. King Mo, it sounded like he challenged him to a no rules 
gym war. Are those things real? Is that a real thing? Well, you see it in, in gyms um, where people um, they're not as professional. You still see stupid training like that. Um, maybe he's just joking. I hope he's just joking because uh, um, Gall can fight. I'm a man make a top team a few times. Um, he's very talented. Maybe you know, but that's just his way of talking trash. I feel like you know. Well, don't forget he got him. He got himself a CM Punk fight by talking trash. Then he got himself a uh, Sage Northcutt fight by talking trash. So maybe he's just trying to get himself in line here. Yeah, and that's all it is now. It's not about like winning fights that matter. It's about winning and talking trash the right time to get fights that matter. Very good point. Uh, so main event, who comes out of this on top? My money, King Mo. Ferguson just too skilled. Lee, good wrestling. Lee can pop. Three submissions by rear naked choke in his last three, last four bouts there. But Ferguson is a man on a mission. He's hungry. He's nasty. I don't see Lee being able to survive the, the, the five rounds of hell that Ferguson's ready to give him. Well, you know, it can go, you know, either two ways. Um, I, I can see, I can see, um, Tony picking up the pace, picking him apart and stopping him with the submission or maybe a TKO stoppage. I can see Kevin Lee, um, Doing enough just to say, like you know, doing enough just to steal certain rounds. Like, um, say he's losing, getting outstruck in the first round, gets a takedown, finishes on top. Say he's on top for three minutes. I can see him doing stuff like being calculated and getting them takedowns. Just that I don't know if he's the gas tank to stick to the game plan orientated, um, the takedown orientated game plan because stand up wise it's gonna be tough because, um, Ferguson is tall and lanky and has a great volume. His volume is unreal and he's. And he has great, um, he has great vers- versatility and variety in his, in his, in his strikes. Um, Kevin Lee's gonna have to use a takedown orientated, um, approach or look to swing heavy and try to land a bomb. But here's the thing. You live by that style going wild. You die by that yes. style. So on a scouting report, King Mo, when, I, when people ask me, you know, who's going to win, and I sort of go, well, this guy's got better wrestling. This one, two, two things I don't usually bring up on a scouting report are balls. And sort of nastiness, like someone being like almost sick. I think Ferguson's combination of balls and sickness, like a love of pain, they almost have to be factored into the prediction, right? I mean, this guy seems to be wired a little bit differently. Does that matter in a fight? Yeah, it does matter. He's one of the few guys I've seen actually having – I could tell he's having fun out there. Um, when he's fighting Dos Anjos, he was out there dancing. He did a breakdance move, did some salsa, merengue-type dances, and – was just teeing off on Dos Anjos. Um, I don't know. We're gonna see, man, because you know it's hard. You know, Kevin made it this far, you know, and you can't make it this far without having some skills. So, you know, um, anything is possible. It's it's it's, it's the fight games, the hurt business, is competition. No victory is guaranteed. Absolutely true. King Mo, the co-main this weekend is a fight we just previewed last month. Demetrius Johnson will defend that UFC flyweight championship against Ray Borg. We thought we were gonna see it at two fifteen in Edmonton. Borg pulled out with a viral illness just days before. We already sort of previewed that we both like Demetrius Johnson, Ray Borg, 24, good young guy, got a lot of fire there, aggressive style, submission expert. But look, this is a historic fight for Johnson. But with the one-month delay, how much does that change a fighter's approach, a fighter's physical approach, meaning that I'm sure Mighty Mouse was peaking, right, like heading into this fight. How much does that alter things? Uh, well, I don't not too much. If anything, it helps Borg out because he'd be healthy. But I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe if he got lucky, maybe he got lucky, maybe he got healthy, and, and Mighty Mouse caught the flu or some type of illness. <laughs> I don't know. You know, um, other than that, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think much changes. If anything, um, Mighty Mouse might, Mighty Mouse might actually widen the gap because he wasn't sick. He actually could continue training to get to the game plan and Borg was trying to heal up and get help, get, get right again. You know what I'm saying? Trying to shake this illness. So, uh, if anything, the gap could have widened. Well, Johnson going for that 11th title defense that would break Anderson Silva's UFC record. We've seen more fighters pull out at the extreme last minute than ever before, Kingbo, right? Amanda Nunez just did that at UFC 213, and, and they pushed her fight off a couple months. She got healthy. She won. In the past, I feel like that wouldn't have happened because people were so fearful of the UFC's old guard, meaning if they don't do things that are for the company, 
they're going to be sent to the back of the line. It feels like more fighters are standing up on their own and saying, like, you know, I know I don't feel good or I just had a really bad weight cut. I'm pulling out for my own purposes to, to be at my best. That hurts business, though, when they do that. But at the same time, we're talking about health and fighters' lives. Is this a good direction that the UFC seems to be going, that more fighters are doing this, even though it can hurt the overall card with the last-minute nature of this? Well, I think it's a good thing because it shows that the UFC, you know, in a sense, it shows the UFC does care. Not UFC, but, well, the fighters. It's good for the fighters because now it shows the fighters are actually putting out, you know, willing to go out there and compete. They're willing to go out there and compete at their best. Because back in the day, people would go out there and fight injured because they need the money or they fight injured because, you know, um, they're hoping that, uh, you know, when they fight, the organization would take care of their um the surgery the surgery bill, so um I think that I think that really um when it comes down to it, if you want to put the best product out, you you have to make sure your fighters at the best of their capabilities. You can't just hope that you know, really you just can't have them go out there fighting in any way. You want them to be you don't want the Mayweather Pacquiao situation where after the fight was over with. A fighter's like, well, I could have fought better, but I was injured. All right. Look at Cain Velasquez, the first Junior Dos Santos fight, right? Lost the championship by knockout in first round. Said he had a mangled knee heading into that fight. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, people want to hear it after the fact. But then before, here's, here's the thing I don't like. After the fact, you mentioned I was hurt. They're like, well, why'd you take the fight? But then if you tur- if he's like, if you go, if you don't take the fight, you're like, I'm injured. They're like, oh, he's faking. Right. What is it? Very good point. It's it's an interesting debate as we move forward. Fighters are standing up for their rights more. That's altering business, but it's a good move in my eyes moving forward. We have a heavyweight fight on this pay-per-view main card. Fabricio Verdum versus the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. We teased this earlier. Lewis looking to bounce back from that fourth-round TKO loss to Mark Hunt, which snapped a six-fight win streak. This guy looked like he was the next guy in line for a title shot until that fight. Verdum hanging around at 40, lost that majority decision to Overeem in July. Who do you like in this one uh it's just i don't know it's gonna be you know it's gonna be tough but it, it depends if verdun can keep Derek loose off of him and go and get to that body land good knees or take it to the ground then but then at the same time Derek lewis is such a seek and destroy fighter if he can land a big shot it's over and the thing is Derek lewis is very durable you know one thing is to question the gas tank but it's a fire it's a three-round fight um it's gonna come down to the game plan and who can if and Derek lewis can land that big shot Verdum, you know, he could take a shot too, but Verdum was good in the clinch, good mid-range, good long-range, and had a great ground game. And he could possibly shoot and, you know, try to pull pull guard or get a takedown on Derek Lewis. I feel like he has more ways of win, but Derek Lewis has that power and the durability. So it's going to come down to skills versus will. That's a great way to break it down. Verdum does have more ways to win, but only a three-round round window. You know, it was the five-round window that hurt Lewis against Mark Hunt. And obviously, if you want to be a title contender, you got to be able to fight five rounds. But in this three-round fight, it's going to be the onus is going to be on Lewis to get out there early and hurt him. Kingbo, we almost can't talk about this fight without talking about that weird news item that popped up this week at a UFC 216 media lunch. And I'm not sure if you saw this. Fabricio Verdum almost threw hands with Tony Ferguson. They're they're yelling at each other in in Portuguese. In Spanish, I don't know what started it, but it it would seemed out of character for Verdum, and they look like they needed to be separated at that point. You catch this? Yeah, I heard about it, but I don't I don't know what the reason, the cause for it is, because Verdum is a is a good dude. I've known Verdum. Tony Ferguson's pretty cool. I've never done nothing but good things about both guys. Um, obviously, it must have been some type of beef um, that no one knew about, or something must have been like going on between them two, or maybe some type of misunderstanding. But uh. I don't know. That, that, that was shocking to me when I saw that. And Ferguson stepped to him quick. He went from zero to I'll fight you right now in about six seconds. I mean, he was right in his face. Verdum later said, I didn't throw a punch because I, you know, he knew he would potentially ruin this car, this week's card. That would be bad for business. But I kind of liked El Kakue jumping right in there and being like, I don't care if you're a heavyweight. You're going to disrespect me. I'm coming at you. Maybe not a smart move business wise, but a man showing that he's for real in and out of the cage. If that's what fans want to see. And it's it's about respect, you know. And and the thing is that you have to show, you have to show that you're, you know, you're, you just can't be a, you can't be, you know, you can't be a a, a minnow or a guppy, because in in this fight game we're all sharks, we're all alpha males, we're all alpha females or omega females. We're all out there trying to get what we can get by fighting, you know. It, it, you you're not you can't be the type of guy to back down and expect to 
be respected in this fight game. So it's a very good way to look at it. I mean, anybody that steps into a cage, you're a you're a different level breed. You're a shark, like you mentioned, all the way. Uh, as we round out sort of the undercard here in a not really a deep card, not really a top-heavy card, but we do have French prospect this featherweight, Tom Duquenois, just 24 years old. He'll be making his second appearance, UFC debut in April, second-round TKO of Patrick Williams. Looked vulnerable at times, looked spectacular at other times. Kimo, you get a chance to te- check out this guy? He's fighting Cody Stammen on Saturday. Tom Duquenois. Yeah, I know Tom. I know Tom Bill Wells. As a matter of fact, I met Tom like three or four years ago in Vegas. As, uh, not in Vegas, but okay, we, have, we have a mutual friend in France. And my friend contacted me, and she said, Mo, I have a friend named Tom. He'll be in Vegas he put him in touch with people. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to be out of town, but I'll give him Jeff's number. Have him have him hit me on WhatsApp. Tom hits me on WhatsApp. I give him Jeff's number, and then um, we stay in contact. And he goes to Greg Jackson's camp. He shows me a video of him training. And Tom is legit, man. Uh, good good everywhere. Only His only weakness is wrestling, but he's good in the ground, good stand-up, very composed. If you saw this kid, you would think like he's like a Harry Potter character. <laughs> you know, Good-looking kid, but he looks like he's 15, right? You would think nothing never, but the kid is very composed. Um, um, he's uh, guys like him. That'll be the future. People like him, young men like him, will be the future. I want to see MMA. You know, I want you'll see got fighters like him in MMA. They're coming up. That'll be the that'll be the future, as well as other guys that come from other sports that pop in and show their supreme athleticism. But Tom is, you know, he's well composed, great fighter, very athletic. Um, man, he he's the truth. You have to be careful, obviously, on when somebody's on the prospect level. I mean, Sage Northcutt is the greatest example, and Sage may still go on to have a great career for all we know. But, I mean, you know, at 19, we were like, oh, this guy's the next this and this. I will say this about Tom Dukenois. He seems to have this championship-level swagger, and he seems to have something very dynamic about his striking and about the way he fights. Now, sometimes you lose that dynamic ability when you step up in class, right? The Conor McGregor that we saw in his first two or three UFC fights doing wild spinning kicks. He's not doing that so much these days when he's fighting all killers. But I think Tom sort of has some 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 kind of star quality about him that I hope we end up seeing him flesh it out and get that chance. Because, like you said, we need stars, right? It's a, it's a good thing to reshuffle the deck. Yeah, definitely. I think um, Tom, he has a style. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to the camp because, you know, sometimes, like, you know, with Greg Jazz's camp, you can't have that wild style. So he's been training going between um, his camp in, I think, France or England and, and Jackson. So what's going to end up happening is as he becomes more mature, he's going to settle down, and you, you're going to see less and less of it. Now, some guys, you know, like Crazy Horse and you – not know, Crazy Horse, but Felony, like guys like that, they have a wild style, but they don't have the consistent and the disciplined training. Now, if you have a wild style and you have consistent discipline training, then that wild style you can make it work. You can make it calculated, but it's just hard to find. There's no, there's no one with that wild style that we've really seen that's been calculated except, except Tony Ferguson. You know, I've seen him do some like stuff like going for weird stuff on the ground, doing like weird. Same thing, same thing with Pettis. You know, like those guys have a wild style, but it's calculated in a sense. Very good point. Uh, now the only other fight on this undercard that I want to see that I'm really interested in is former Bellator champ Will Brooks needs a win, King Mo. Two-fight losing streak has dropped to one and two since coming over to the UFC. It was a big acquisition. That two-fight losing streak could be a little bit subjective where he got knocked out by Alex Oliveira in the third round. Oliveira had missed weight. He was much bigger. That was last October. But he came back to lose by submission one to Charles Oliveira in April. Seems like Will Brooks got some Oliveira issues he's got to sweep up, but he's going to fight Nick Lentz at lightweight. Is it time to get a little scared if Brooks would lose this, or, or where are we at with this? Uh, you know, I think I think it's not time to get scared. It's just time for Will to um, to step up, man up. I think that's what he's going to do in this fight. Um, obviously, Will and uh, Nick Lentz are familiar with each other, so um, we're going to see what happens in this fight, man. It's going to be interesting. Will's debut with the UFC was against Ross Pearson. That was a fun fight where Brooks largely dominated for two rounds, faded a bit late as Ross came on. It's, it's, it can be hard, King Mo, for the guys to make the leap to go from Bellator to UFC, but I never thought skills were an issue here for Will Brooks. I think he just needs to kind of get a win, get under his belt, and get right back on track. Yeah, really, it's, it's, when it comes down to it, it's more about people make worry about the say it's a jump from, from the UFC Bellator or Bellator UFC, but really it's about the style because – Going, thinking about this, Lorenz Larkin going to Bellator. Everyone thought Lorenz Larkin would go out there and smash everybody. 
Everyone thought Ben Henderson, oh, he's coming to the belt. So he's going to go out there and smash everybody. Ben Henderson's one in three in the UFC. Could be all Grant, in four. Yeah. Bellator, Bellator. Granted, he, went, he wasn't healthy when he got there. Lorenz Larkin fought two killers, you know what I'm saying, off the rip. He didn't have a chance to really get in the groove of things and get a, get a building fight, you know what I'm saying, when he got to Bellator. So it really when it comes down to it, it's, the, it's the style and st- the style that you have and the matchup you're facing. And you think that's a good uh, – what you just laid out there, that's sort of a good advertisement for Bellator where it's like you thought these guys were going to come in and clean house and maybe this is showing how tough Bellator has become. You know what? You can say that, but at the same time, it's not about Bellator or UFC. It's about the fighter. It's about the fighter and the matchup they're facing because, you know, anybody can get beat by anybody on any day. It depends on your game plan and how you feel that day. Good point. Good points all around. Well, this is UFC 216. We have previewed and wrapped it up. The big one, of course, is in November, UFC 217. That seems to be the one that the UFC hopes will put them back on financial track, build toward the big New Year's Eve card. We'll see where that goes. But another week in the books. King Mo, we just sort of run out of time. We can keep rambling. I had so much I wanted to bring up in pro wrestling. Uh, In boxing, we will get to that at another time. The fans can still find you on social media, Twitter. Instagram at KingMoFH. Hit me up at B Campbell CBS. How? What, what's up with you, King Mo? You in the gym? What's happening? Uh, right now I'm just just uh, doing rehab, uh, just training, casually helping guys in the gym. You know what I'm saying I really can't push it just yet because I still can't really wrestle or grapple with my hip. But uh, hopefully, you know, um, things will, my hip will get better. It's rehab and treatment and strengthening, and I can get back to work. We, that's where we want to see you. We want to see you back to work. Back to work putting together, you know, those hands plus wrestling being a problem for a lot of fighters around the world. Definitely, definitely. Well, King Mo, we hit all the notes this week. We will be back next week to recap all that is going on in MMA, UFC 216, and more. We give two, the people two words for the exits. We out. We out.